a good morning and welcome to our family of families. How are we doing today? Thumbs up, thumbs down, middle, ground, fantastic. My name is Zach. I am the next-gen pastor. And yes, as Pastor Aaron has said, happy Memorial Day. It's more than just a fun-filled weekend. There is so much more that we can be thankful for. And so it's a privilege and honor to be able to be in this country, to be able to preach the Word of God openly. So thank you to all those that served. Additionally, uh, there's two questions that pop up in your mind when you see me walking on stage. Question number one is, where is Pastor Mark, our lead pastor? And to answer that question, let's just put some alleviation. He's on vacation this week. I'm glad that he's taking some time with his family, being able to relax and enjoy that season. And maybe the second question that maybe half of you ask is, how come our youth pastor is balder than our lead pastor? And my response to you to that question is that I came to Limwood with hair when I started this gig. So, anywho, I always take it with reverence when I get the opportunity to preach the Word of God. Uh, this is a blessing to be able to open up with you and to be able to dive in. So let's dive in right away with a controversial statement. Wouldn't be a youth pastor without some controversy here. Here we go. When I make this statement... How does this land for you? Does it either connect with you in an agreement, or do you go on the opposite and say, let's persecute the guy that's on stage? Here we go. Here's the conversational or com controversial statement that God is a jealous God. God is jealous for you. You're either in one of the two camps, because if you're in the camp that's like, yeah, you're using language like jealousy, and there's clear scripture passages that write that jealousy is a sin, and I would agree with you, because Galatians 5 mentions this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, dang, we got really heavy pretty quickly here, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, and the list goes on and on and on. However, it's interesting because in the Old Testament, specifically Exodus 20, when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, God addresses the people and says this right here in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Are you catching the problem here? Because as I was wrestling with this passage that we're going to be diving into today, there seems to be a conflict that is happening. These two words do not match up. It, it's also interesting in Exodus 20 that the word that they use in the Hebrew language for jealous is only exclusively used to talk about an attribute and character of God. It's only said six times in the scriptures, and yet the word jealousy in the English word is said several more times in six. Now, if I was a good pastor, we would go into the Hebrew words and actually start diving into that. Unfortunately, today, I'm just a mediocre pastor, and we're not going to be diving into Hebrew or Greek words today. But instead, I thought maybe... Instead of looking at a specific word, maybe we should look at this characteristic type of God through a passage, a story that he uses. Because we believe that everything in here in the word 
is 100% truth. Amen? And we agree on that. Fantastic. So that we believe that everything that we're going to preach on today is actual historical events. I want to tell you a little bit of my personal testimony. I didn't grow up in children's ministry, so I missed Bible Man, McGee and Me. I missed VeggieTales, never had that. I never really had a proper VBS presented to me before. And I hate to say this, but I didn't know what a flannel graph was until college. And so for my seasoned saints out there, my apologies. I know they do God's work and God's will that I still don't know if I've actually physically felt one or touched one or done anything with one. I'm sure they exist somewhere, and I'm pretty sure by the end of the week someone's going to bring me one. I don't need that. Thank you, though. Appreciate it. But when we talk about children's ministry, sometimes we get in our minds these cute stories that come into play. Noah's Ark. You get that image of Noah on the ark and the rainbow and the animals in there. Moses separating the sea. You see Moses with the staff and the seas parting. Jonah. And the moment I mention Jonah, we may instantly think of the whale. And in children's ministry, we hyphen up like, yeah, Jonah's swallowed by a whale. Fantastic. And there's so much more to this story than just a children's ministry illustration. Now, I, I do need to do a little side rabbit trail. Our children's ministry here at Linwood is incredible. Pastor Sandy does an amazing job and an unapologetic job of preaching the word of truth, but translating in a way that our children can understand that. We need that in our churches, so I'm thankful for the leadership she presents here. But today we're going to be diving into Jonah chapter 1, because our goal is very simple. I want to remind you of our goal. Our goal here is simple, is to remind you or to introduce to you that God is a jealous God for you, that God desires you. And how we're going to unpack that is looking into Jonah 1. So, if you've come here today with your scriptures, your own scriptures, fantastic. I've got a high five waiting for you in the lobby after service. You can come find me. If you don't have scriptures, guess what? We have scriptures for you here in service. Make sure you grab those blue Bibles, take it out. Even if you were someone that's got scriptures on the phone, yeah, you're welcome to do that. It's also kind of weird as a pastor, I see you playing Tetris. Please don't do that. That's weird. If you're online, hey, I'm so glad that you're joining us on the Word or podcasting. In the comment section, you're going to see the passages of Jonah 1. Make sure you turn there with us because I'm not going to have the verses on screen today. And we're going to be doing a lot of stop and goes. So I want you to follow along with your translation. In the end, it's important that we're diving in the Word together. And so this is going to be an educational opportunity to address a bigger issue, and that is with how we present the word. So let's turn together. Jonah chapter 1. If you've got to turn to a table of contents, that is a-okay. Trust me, judgment-free, because that's a small book to find. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 1. The Lord gave this message to John, son of the Amatite. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against its people, because I have seen how wicked its people are. I failed to mention I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You may have a different translation, and that is perfectly fine. I'm glad that you're reading along. God has made a very clear and direct commandment to God in the first two verses. Have we actually processed what God just commanded him? God just told Jonah, 
in one big sentence to uproot his entire life, to go to a city that is wicked and despised by people like Jonah, and then most importantly, he's told to preach against their wickedness to their people. One of the three tasks could be just big enough. But now he's asked all three of them. And here's the problem with Nineveh. Nineveh was controlled by the Assyrians. This is, takes place in the Old Testament. So this is 700 years before Jesus comes onto the scene. His earthly ministry. And then he dies on the cross. He resurrects and ascends to happen. This is 700 years prior to that. And in this period here, the, the Jewish people despise Nineveh. Jonah grew up his entire life hating the Assyrians and most importantly the city of Nineveh. They were no good people. He did not want to go to Nineveh because he did not think they deserved God's grace. Even before verse 1 was even spoken, Jonah had always known that God has called us to share God's grace with all people. And then even after verse 1 and 2, He's reminded of that, and he has a choice to make. God's calling him to do the impossible, to submit and to go. Verse 3, here we go. Let's keep going. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the, the port of Joppa, where he found a ship living for Tarish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarish. He didn't just ignore it. He didn't just say, yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Lord. You can find somebody else. He feared God so much, he ran in the opposite direction. Let me see if you can catch this with me. He was told to travel to Nineveh. A distance from where he is to where he is now. Instead, he decides to take his landmark opportunity and he moves all the way in the complete opposite direction and moves right over here. And for those that are waking up, because now a pastor's in the middle of the stage, good morning, I'm glad you're here. If you're listening to this on podcast, I'm standing in the middle of the sanctuary. That is a further distance. And this is the illustration here. In Nineveh, it was 555 miles. From Tarsh, it's 2,500 miles. That's just going straight across, not including all the land he has to go around. It's around 3,000 miles if we were going to be more serious about this. Can you catch the, the posture that Jonah had? That instead of just obeying God and going 550 miles where he's called him to go, he does the impossible and he goes in the opposite direction in fear. I like this phrase. Hoping to escape from the Lord. What a specific and odd thing to say. Because Jonah had reverence for God's power. And he was scared of it. And because he was so scared of it, he was hoping to run away. Hold on to that thought. Because we're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. In the end, God's called him to fulfill a task, and he's just outright abandoned it. God wants 
Jonah. God wants to lead him. God wants to use him. God wants him. God's will is to be done. Catching a theme here? Verse 4. Soldiers can be stop and go. Welcome to church. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing the violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Did you just understand what I just read? Because of Jonah's disobedience, God sent a great wind into the sea. God sent a storm. That should make us pause. That should make us feel uneasy. Our God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, sent a storm to Jonah, who identified him as his Lord. Catch the theme that God is determined to get a hold of Jonah. God is jealous. For him. Verse 5. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted out to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to line the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Dude, man, you've got some sleeping issues. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. The language in here is pretty clear, that these were sailors. These were experienced people of the sea. This was not their first voyage. This was not their local Boy Scout troop that was leading Jonah to, to away from Nineveh. These were experienced sailors, and the verse passage is very clear. All the sailors were afraid of each other and cried out to his own God. We call God loving, compassionate, graceful, and those are very true attributes of God. But we can't ignore the power of God either. And sometimes, if I'm going to add this language, God can be scary. Because we cannot control the winds and the waves and the storms, and God can. There's a story by C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you've heard this story before. Uh, C.S. Lewis tries to build an illustration, a parallel of who God is and to the story of a lion named Aslan. And when the children are approaching this lion, the question is, is he safe? Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's wild, you know. Not a tame lion. And out of this fear of the storm that's brewing, they cast lots. And lots is kind of your way of like flipping a coin, rolling a die to figure out by chance and possibility, who does it land to? And guess what? Guess whose number rung up? Jonah's the winner. He's responsible for the storm. Verse 8 on. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? 
What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, and made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For they already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Jonah says, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. This is the turning point in our passages here today. Jonah recognized that he should have been here, but instead he complete disobedience and went over there. Or he's trying to make his way over there. And this weight of responsibility is now on him. And it's time for him to recognize, I messed up. And instead of the storm just maintaining its current pace, it increases in velocity. It says this, the sailors were even more afraid than they were before. The seas were getting rougher and rougher. It's amazing when we just take this passage by passage how vivid these words become alive. This isn't a children's ministry story anymore, is it? It's changed directions a little bit. Verse 13, this is the fascinating one right here. Because instead of just doing what Jonah has said, verse 13, instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. The sailors showed more grace in a terrible situation than Jonah did to the direct command that he was given to the people of Nineveh. These people who did not even perface God as their Lord and Savior show grace. This calling of showing grace does not just reside with the super Christians. It resides with us all. We are called to reach out and cause love and grace to all those who are lost and saved. But their attempt to do anything about it failed. But they couldn't, for the seas grew even wilder than before. If we just evaluate this for a second, verse 5, they were already afraid. Verse 11, they were getting even more scared. How disastrous was the storm when it got to verse 13? The last desperation comes into play here. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons. Verse 15, then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. Explanation point. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Out of options and out of pure desperation, they make the decision to throw Jonah into the water. And immediately the words are used here, the storm ceased. I like how this parallels with the New Testament 700 years later. For when Jesus and his disciples were caught up in a storm, they cried the words, Lord, save us for we're drowning. And Jesus gets up there and calms the storm. 
And in Matthew 8, verse 20, they say these words right here. Verse 27. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. If you happen to control weather on your own power, please come see me afterwards because that is an incredible power that I don't think any of us have. But even the winds and the waves obey him. And everything subsides in verse 17. Even though Jonah is disobedient, was actively running away from God, we transition from God's storm into God's compassion. Follow along with me, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. See, just introducing the entire chapter 1 is only half the preaching story that we need to give. Good preaching helps us bridge the word to us specifically. What has happened thousands of years ago can still apply to us today. And Jonah feared the Lord so much and knew the power and strength that he provided that he chose to try to run away as fast as he could. He had so much reverence for that power. He knew that power. We know that power. Are you ready? What does that say about us? About me? About you? About us? When God calls us to move or do something outside of our comfort zone, we choose not to just surrender to his will. No, we don't even do what Jonah did and just run in the opposite direction. We do something much worse. We just accidentally choose to ignore it. We do nothing to what God's called us to do. As if it was like an annoying software update on our phones. Yeah, I don't need to update that right now. Away. Even amongst the just disobedience, God provides. But that's not where the concern is. The concern is, even though we know God's power, what happens when we choose that worst option and we don't decide to run to Nineveh or Tarsh? We choose to do nothing and stand here. See, we are called to the Great Commission. And because we're called to the Great Commission, this is not just for pastors. This is not for just staff members. This is not for just the board members, the Great Commission's for all those that profess in the name of Jesus Christ to be living out our faith, to be preaching the good news, to have a fruitful relationship with Christ. We are committed in maintaining our relationship with Christ every single day and not in the small pocket of time here at a Sunday morning service. God is so much more jealous for you for us. He's jealous for our attention. He's jealous for our time. He's jealous for our priority. God desires to have a relationship with you. And so when we're using the word jealousy, we have to remember that God is going to move things in a way to make sure that our attention is very clear and direct. One of the other great responsibilities I get to have as a, as a residency pastor is I have the opportunity to engage with students across this country with our different universities. Every semester I will travel out to different universities and share with them the things that are happening here at Linwood, the things that are happening in our Wesleyan denomination, and prepare them for post-college. 
And what does post-college look like for an up-and-coming rising pastor? Yes, we provide them a residency program. We give them that opportunity. But most importantly, we want to provide them hope. We want to provide them with resources because ministry is hard. But there's something that's been happening with this current generation that is not just remaining in this generation. It's actually starting to spill over to all generations. Our, our college students, which is now echoed to it, a majority of people that we interact with, they are afraid after college to make the wrong decision. So the best decision they make is to make no decision at all. I call this being paralyzed by fear. I'm not willing to go where maybe God's calling me to go. I'm not willing to even just run away and go this direction. I'm just going to ignore it. We are called to the Great Commission, and God calls us to submit to his will. And I want to be clear, this isn't an excuse for disobedience to say, well, I guess I'm just going to go run away. Rather, this is an invitation for obedience. God is jealous for you. God's jealousy is unrivaled to his love and compassion he has for you. See, the people of Nineveh deserved nothing. They didn't deserve anything. But God still wants to show them mercy. This is a reminder that God desires you. Not a part of you, but all of you. Because when Jonah was in that whale, he read, or he prayed out loud, Jonah chapter 2. And if you'd be willing, I'd like to read to you Jonah chapter 2 as a way to close out this service, as a response to how we can understand God's love for us. Let me read this to you. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean's depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Verse 4. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed around me. The seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you... O oh Lord, my God, snatch me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayers went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then... He was spit out and called to go to Nineveh. He is jealous for us. His love is like a hurricane. And we are like a tree.